0: David Shapiro, fifty years. I can't actually believe it. I read your column in Business Day, uh, when was it last week? And you said on the first of February it will be exactly fifty years since you stepped onto the floor at the JSC. Now your dad, Archie, he was uh he was also a a legend on the Johannesburg Stock Exchange. Was it always decided that uh young David would be following in Archie's footsteps?
1: No, not at all. (laughs) In fact, my dad—my dad had a tough upbringing. You know, was brought up. um, His mom, his dad died at a very early age. He never had. uh, You know, he couldn't go to university, and um, so it was. He came from the south, from Turfantine, Rosettenville. uh, Never forgot his roots, but uh, he was very fortunate in the midst of the depression to get a job there was a sl- I never understand what happened but uh, there was an opening that got him into the stock exchange and he stayed there ever since and he was a wonderful trader of course you know the next generation went to university and uh, I did accountancy and um I was never going to be a trader on the floor you know <laughs> you had to have a special skill to do that and don't ever underestimate the skills of traders as opposed to what Harold, my older brother, and myself were, were, you know, analysts. We were accountant analysts and that. But um, I went onto the floor. I loved the floor. I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was a big, big learning curve, and there was a lot that I learned from there. But, you know, as the years progressed, so um, so I developed in other areas. And as you know, my dad was a raging gold bull. You know, I'm, I'm I'm probably the opposite.
0: <laughs> well, you, at least you don't go short on gold. But, <laughs> but David, it is interesting. No. So you go to you went to Vitz. You you then studied accountancy. You were a chartered accountant. That's a respectable career. I mean, trading on the floor, on the JSE, certainly from uh, the way that <laughs> I remember those days, there used to be occasional punch-ups uh, when you were shouting out. Uh, just, mm-hmm. just, just give us a bit yep. of color there. The, the, the way that you traded those days, uh, how, how did the
1: orders come in and how were they executed? They were about 100th. The efficiency of the markets that we have today because everything was literally done on scraps of paper. And uh, you would get orders in that came via telex, via telephone, and you would run to a, a dealer. And this dealer had to shuffle these orders through his pad. Now, remember, he was dealing in a segment of the market. So he was covering, I don't know, it could be if he was the gold trader, he was probably covering 30, 40, 50 shares. And he had to shuffle these, especially in the busy times. The one thing that I loved about it—you knew when a market was busy, you could actually feel the pulse, you know, of a market. And uh, I, I loved that, and I loved the camaraderie. I loved the community, you know, the the community. We haven't got a community today. We don't have a financial community. If it, if we do, it's it's disparate. It's all over the place. But there, everybody was mates with each other. And uh, you know, Monday morning, you'd come in and discuss whether it was. Um, the golf, the rugby, the cricket—you know—and uh, so there was a, ve- there were very strong friendships that were formed um, in those years, which continue today. You know, a lot of the chaps who were on the floor, you know, remain friends even though they were dealing with opposite firms. So I, I miss that, and and there was a big learning curve there. Like you learned a lot about human nature, you learned a lot about trading, about markets, far more so than you do, I think on the screen-based systems and that.
0: I remember watching from the gallery, uh, which was all glassed in, and you could then look down at these grown men who were running around, shouting at the top of their voices, buy this, sell that. And then there were people who uh, were markers, I suppose you called them, who were standing on these big boards and writing in chalk. Yeah, writing in chalk when, when, yep. the, when the share prices change. Yep. I mean, that, that's like a world away from where we are today.
1: Totally. I think if, if I go back on 50 years, the biggest change has been the technological change. You know, having come from an open outcry market to where we are today. In fact, you wrote, I read yesterday an article you wrote for a magazine called Leadership in 1987, which was the 100 the centenary and you and you were actually writing on the change of technology because in 1987 we were starting to use computers for research you know that was the start i mean the big leap came when we went electronic in 1996 with the internet but i mean we were starting to 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 get used to uh, putting research onto spreadsheets and so on So uh, one day I'll send you that article. I'm sure you've got it in your archives, but (laughs) I I was just catching up yesterday. But that was the Alec, when I came onto the market in 1972, um, there was no direct dialing to London or to, to anywhere. So if you wanted to deal with your counterparts in London, you used to have to book a call through the operator. You know, and it will come through a half an hour later. And we dealt in telegrams and we dealt in telex, coded telegrams. And so communication, understand this, communication, to get information from London, respond to it, send back an answer was a half an hour. Today it's instantaneous. Now that half an hour opened massive gaps for, you know, for what they called in those days arbitrage, taking advantage of price differences between Shares that were, you know, South African shares that were trading in London and um, and South Africa, and of course we had those counterparts in Zurich, uh, Brussels, Paris, London, New York. So it was quite an international market in that, and it worked. And oh, besides that, we were dealing in the blocked rand or the (laughs) security rand or the financial rand. (laughs) It wasn't just straight currency dealing. If you couldn't, so, yeah, that that was the seventies, yeah.
0: If you couldn't calculate quickly, you couldn't do. Uh, who was it? The one Springbok coach who was counting on his hands one day on his fingers. But but David, uh, I, I recall when I started, which was not too long after your uh, first day on the floor, when I, I started in journalism, Penelope Gracie was my boss as it sounds. She was female, and Penelope could ne- was not allowed into the Rand Club. Uh, when she went to the RAND Club for business lunches, she was had to be spirited in through the back entrance. What was it like at the JSE when you arrived there? And and the maybe the transformation, I think it was some years before Penny could go through the front door at the mm-hmm. RAND Club. What was it like at the, for women at the JSE then?
1: The same thing. I think the first female member was Anne McCurtain, which, if I recall, was in 1976. It might have been slightly later, but uh, that was the first. Uh, that's when they started to allow females in. The strange thing is that um, I worked for a firm called Max Pollock and Fremantle, and Eric Fremantle had applied in the fifties for a lady who was working for him, Betsy McLaren, to become a member. And I mean, you know, you can't believe how the the committee objected, and you know what he went through, and and the reason they finally gave him was that. There were no female toilets by the trading floor. In other words, there weren't facilities. <laughs> Sorry. So he was ahead of his time, and he felt that uh, she'd given so much to the firm that she was entitled to be a partner. In order to be a partner, you had to be a member. But it was only much later that um, you know, that they started to admit females. I think the – I'm trying to think when they first allowed. The first non-white was Sikki Ibrahim which I recall was probably 1981, an Indian chap. He's still with us, or his son still works uh, with me today, and um, I think that was in the early 1980s. David, looking
0: looking back over 50 (laughs) years, I know you did touch on this in your Business Day column, but I'd I'd love you just to repeat it for us, the the, the big lessons that you've learned about investing in this wealth of experience that you have been uh, exposed to.
1: I think I think you know I, I management is very important that was the one lesson but I'm going to I'm just going to put that aside we can come back to it the one lesson I learned and I have so many examples are of ordinary people who built wealth just by being clever buying the right kind of shares and sticking with it and um, I remember going down. I used to often go down to Somerset West, and I'd meet people there that I was talking to. Not, you know, I was giving a talk, and they would come and attend. And afterwards, they were proud to show me their portfolios. And here, they were very simple folk—lawyers, you know, doctors, the local doctor, the local lawyer, accountant, etc. They had backed Johan Rupert, and they had portfolios. In those days, <laughs> we in the multi-million rands. And they had just supported him. I I worked, I worked. was very privileged to work for a, a gentleman by the name of Gus Lipschitz. And then in the 1990s, Gus saw the change in the South African economy. And he said, you know what? We're going to have a new middle class and they're going to spend. I'm going to buy Ellerines, I'm going to buy cash build. I'm going to buy a And all he did, he would choose one stock or two stocks a year and just build and build up for you know, he was he wasn't a man who, who boasted about the money. But when I saw how clever, you know, how these gentlemen had built by just following the right kinds of business, um, just just how successful they were, they never they never switched and changed and and went into diversified portfolios or what, let's call it balanced portfolios. They just stuck to their strategy, and I think. It's a massive lesson. If you find the right kind of companies, just stay with them. You know what I mean? You, you know from Berkshire. Just have a look at the multi-billionaires that have been made just following Warren Buffett You know, from the early ages. Simple, easy folk, lived in, the, lived in Omaha and uh, amassed a massive fortune. And I'm saying, you know, it's not difficult. It's, it sounds more difficult. Just find the right companies, you know, and know the management as well. Management, very, very important. Know that they're acting in your, on your behalf. And that's the other lesson. Know that they're not acting for their own self enrichment, but rather to, uh, to build a legacy, you know, company, a legacy company, and also to look after your interests.
0: So, where do you start on both of those? First of all, finding the right companies, and secondly, trusting the management or knowing which management is trustworthy?
1: Time. You know what we do? We suddenly find, you know, we're listening to uh, the media. I'm talking mainly television, you know, and you, you're listening to and they come up with a new company that's coming out with a new product. Just wait. You know, you've got to give management time. I always say it's like a relationship. You know, you don't, you don't find a pretty girl and on the first date she's great and she looks attractive and she's, she's fun and you want to marry her the next day. You know, it takes time takes time to build a relationship. You have to learn about her uh, her, her quirks. You have to learn about her family. You know, is this someone you want to be with in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years? So I think it's the same thing. We're too quick you know, to, to judge companies. And I say the same thing now for almost cryptocurrency. We don't know it. Wait. you know, You don't have to make your fortune tomorrow. So I think it's very important to understand a company. And it takes you time to actually build that trust in the management, you know, of the business and understanding the business. The other thing is themes. And that's why I like to look at the themes and say, okay, what is what's what's in the same way as Gus said, listen, I see a new middle class coming. It's going to take five, ten years, you know, and that's how he built his wealth. He says they're going to get money and they're going to spend. And I think in the same way, we have to look at those kind of businesses that we think are going to be dominating in the next five to 10 years and run with it, you know, go with it, make that judgment call. And look, some will fail. It's okay. You know, one or two will fail. You don't have to let your ego get in the way, but but go with it. So, uh, and, and, you know, we have too many financial people out there, advisors who are constantly at you you know trying to get you to change shift go you know, you've got to go here you've got to go there just ignore them just do your own thing you know you've got to you've, you've you've got to look after your own money and just be conscious of where you're going
0: in all that time in those 50 years you would have met some remarkable people just off the top of your head now within broking within the community who is the one person who, who perhaps was a role model or stood out for you? And then outside of that, in the business community generally,
1: I, I think we had, we've lo- you know, we, we had. When I go back to the magnets that we had, you know, those those huge um giants of business that we had in the 70s and 80s and 90s i think i think when i look back on south african co- you know the south african companies when you look on someone like donny gordon who was so far ahead of his time in the way that he built liberty unfortunately i think times went against him but um you know when when you, when you look at how liberty just Ran ahead of all those businesses. I think on the, you know, on, I'm, I'm trying to, SA Breweries was always a model for me. I think always, you know, and I still think to this day, um, within their own internal business, you know, they're, they're a very good structure. But we had the Tiger brands, we had all the property, card, we had some superb businesses, um, that were run there anglo american you know you used to take your shoes off when you used to go to forty four main street it was like a shrine <laughs> and you could feel the power do you know what I mean you could feel that the power of those businesses and um, you know south africa in this in those in that era was a very powerful nation we were a, a mining nation at a time when um, you know mining was a was an important um you know, very important industry. And a lot of industries were built around that, you know. And so I think those were the, those were the, the, the not models, you know, I think we, we revered them, you know. We always revered um, those kind of people and they had a certain power and magnetism which I don't find is there today. You know, there's there's some very good managers out, and we've got some very great businesses, but nowhere near the kind of stature that uh, those kind of people commanded and had. You know, <laughs> and um, so I've, I found that was a very good learning, you know, a, a lesson for me as well. Unfortunately, things have changed. I think the country we we let it slip. You know, um, and it wasn't. I don't. You know, when I say we let it slip during the nineties. Uh, we took our eye off the ball, and then we always – we thought that the Chinese would continue forever, you know, buying commodities. And uh, we, we suffered from the Dutch disease in in the sense that we thought, you know, commodities would always save us. We never thought that commodity prices would come down. But, I mean, if you look at the industrial companies that, 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 that we had, um, you know, whether it was from clothing, furniture manufacturers, etc., So there were so many – Kind of um, people that 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 kind of shape my my thinking and uh, education. I think today I'm, I'm I'm trying to think who I who who I admire. I've always admired Buffett. He's a one man and that era. That you know why, because he's just down to earth. You know what I mean? And he's got such a wonderful philosophy on life. I think it just covers every every aspect of it. And I think if I had to shape my my myself it would be around uh the way that he has um approached investment. You know, there's never been and and I, I don't even think he's out of date at this stage. You know, I don't think that he has ever gone out of date. Uh in his thought, you know, you might re- you might apply it differently, but when you read what he says, I, you know, and I, and I advise every young person, you know, not, you know, just to hear what he said. Listen to Charlie the other day, 97, still coming out with pearls of wisdom, absolute pearls, you know, even though he was pro China. But when you listen to his arguments, they actually valid, you know. They, so, so I love those two men, you know, and, and, I, and, and my heart will go when they, you know, could they, 91, 97, please God, they can live for another decade or so.
0: Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, David. Uh, what about you? How much longer are you going to? Are you going to be involved in the stock market? Given, oh, yeah. that perhaps you've got oh, yeah. your dad did oh, yeah. more than fifty years. How, how far did uh, did Archie? Uh, what was his record? And is it something that you're going to?
1: He he went through to nineteen, no more eighty three, ninety three, ninety three, ninety five, right through to the end. Sadly, when we went um, electronic, that was the end. You know, 1996. He, he, you know, he he had Alzheimer's in his latter years, which was very sad. You know, to see a man of his, uh, he, he he was always gregarious, outgoing. He was, you know, I couldn't keep up with him. I couldn't keep up with his energy. Even in, I went on one trip to London, a business trip, and I was gone. You know, I, I just couldn't couldn't go at the same kind of pace that he could go at. But um, you know that was that that was his character. But I've got no intention of retiring. And like it's it's we don't have to. Do you know what I mean? It's uh, this is not a physically demanding job. <laughs> you can be here for a long time, and and I enjoy keeping up with the news, and I enjoy trying to work out. You know, trying to say, okay, what's happening in the world? Where's it going? Which are going to be the new companies? You know, where must we put our money? What are going to be um, you know the, the, those cash bulls or the Ellerians and that maybe in a global context, and I think that's always a challenge um, to seek them out. So I continue to read, I continue to to test, uh, you know, test my knowledge. But I think we're going into an exciting era, you know, massive, massively exciting area with this whole digital transformation. So don't think this is over. I think we're going into uh, there's going to be a lot of action in the next ten years.
0: That's um